Hello and welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast, where we seek to inspire and equip you to move your parish from maintenance to mission. We've got an amazing episode coming up today. We're going to be talking about deacons, and we've got a deacon joining us, Deacon Doug. And so I'm here with Ron Huntley. Hey, Good to see you, Ron. Good to be here. And uh, Father James, it's always great to hang out with you. Great to be here. Awesome. So look, uh, Ron, I, I can't help but notice something. <laughs> and Father James and I were talking about you a little bit behind your back. I say, man, that Ron guy's looking really buff today. Yeah, I wish that were true. <laughs> I don't think I'll be able to walk tomorrow. <laughs> I worked out last night. I just started working out with Cro- CrossFit. CrossFit. And for any of you that know CrossFit, it's a little intense. And I have been anything but intense for several years now. And so... <laughs> For me, it's uh, just an effort to try to manage uh, stress and, and be healthy. Right. And so I thought, I'm going all in. And uh, man, it's painful. And so what exactly humbling. is it? Like, what, what, what does it actually look like physically? Yeah, it, it doesn't look like much. It, it's like a warehouse with these you know, steel cages and just almost like barbaric... Steel cages? Steel cages. Well, not cages, steel, like, <laughs> well, I'd say cage. I say cage because a cage is a name for a workout... Um, yeah, I don't even know the language around it, to be honest with you, but it doesn't look like much. It doesn't look like your traditional treadmills and exercise bikes and weight There's machines. There's no elliptical. There's nothing like that. You get tires out in the back that people flip. You you have a lot of weights and barbells and you do all kinds of things. To be honest with you, I've never done before. I've spent years in and out of the gym, mostly out, but sometimes in. Uh, and this is a completely new way of training for me. Every day it's a, or every day that I go, I should say, <laughs> it's a different, you're doing different things. And so it's really intense and it's fun. But one of the things that's interesting and, and a friend was just telling me that CrossFit started in two or three places and now there's thousands of them all over the world. It was said in an article that if it was a church plan, it would be the most successful church plan our generation's ever seen. And there's three principles that, that are really evident when you participate in CrossFit. One of them is the acceptance. It doesn't matter who you are, what size you are, what color your skin is, how old you are. When you come, just an incredible welcome, hmm. uh, which is really amazing. And then encouragement. Boy, I'm telling you, literally last night, everybody else has done the exercise way before I was, and they're all standing around me, clapping me. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. Cause they won't go on to the next step until the last person is finished. And I'm telling you, I would have quit if they, <laughs> if, if it wasn't, I didn't want to disappoint them. And, uh, and, and the last one's accountability. Uh, you know, they expect you to do what you say you're going to do. You know, if you're supposed to do a certain amount of reps, you know, they expect you to do that certain amount, no cheating, no taking, cutting any corners. And, you know, so, acceptance, encouragement, and accountability. And to be honest with you, that's what I felt I needed because I'd been going to the gym off and on. You'd buy a membership and you only use a few months and it's irritating. Mm. But these people, uh, the way they set up the culture of a, a CrossFit gym is really, uh, it's really neat. Hmm. Yeah. So it's fun. It's been fun. Painful well, as heck. Well, those are, I mean, if you principles. think within a parish of what Christian community is meant to be, you know, we often confuse Christian community with with just socializing. I had a a meeting with uh, a layperson who's a leader in one of our parishes, and he was showing me a a framework um, of of looking at the parish that he's going to present at a meeting next week. And he had taken some of the principles from from our, our ministry. And it was really, really good. But one of the things he was talking to me about was they have a number of social events like, you know, dinners and all of this. And, and, and we talked a lot about what actually differentiates socializing from authentic Christian community. Right. An authentic Christian community is, is accountability to and for one another 
in our progress to fulfill the call to holiness and mission. Amen. In one sense. So it, it begins with what? Acceptance, uh, encouragement, yeah. and accountability. Amen. I mean, that's the heart of any community, never mind Christian community as well. And, and so those are really three key values for parish renewal. But even within our, our coaching network, you know, you think about it, right. cross-training is a, a form of uh, you're, you're in a community, yeah. you're being coached to do something difficult, you feel like you're gonna, you want to quit. quit. <laughs> and, and so in many ways, those dynamics, those, those values are key to the dynamic of, of coaching as well. So divine renovation is the, to, to parish renewal is the CrossFit to fitness. <laughs> if you want an easy route, do not do join not divine renovation. DR, no. Do not join uh, CrossFit. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. And I, I, to be honest with you, I think it's true. Most people in the network who've been coached would tell you it's the hardest thing they've ever done. And just when you think it's starting to get comfortable, you start and get good at it, you break into a new area that all of a sudden you're growing again and you realize I can't do it. And you're all over again growing and so mm. it's really uh, it's exciting it's dynamic that's why i love leadership so much leadership is so dynamic it's ever-changing and it's constantly calling me to grow and get better and and overcome fears and obstacles and work new ways with people to get new results and new outcomes in places i didn't know were possible and it's so fun speaking of of, of growing I, I know we've brought on some churches down in in the um in the United States into yes. the network mm. and, and including one in, in Salem. Is that right? Mm. Yeah. We're just going to start there. So I know Salem. almost nothing about Salem. What I know mm. is like pop culture Salem, which I'm sure is not like Salem, but, but what's it like coaching parishes in the, in that kind of a region? To be honest with you, I don't know yet because we just welcomed them in just recently. And right. so, but it was nice to talk to father Murray and just get his, he's new to that area. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, like a lot of other areas, they struggle. And, you know, they have areas they're doing well in, areas that, that they're struggling in. And he really excited to take on this um, role as a pastor in this mm-hmm. area. And I just love his enthusiasm and his passion. And I'm going to be really excited to work with him in the coaching network. Um, yeah, they, you know, they, you know, I think I don't, I haven't watched the pop culture movies on, on, on Salem uh, from the past, but clearly it's uh, a place that's known uh, for some things that, that, that are, challenging and you know in terms of witchcraft and things like that whether you know i don't know much about it i'll, yeah. I'll learn but uh, i'm under the impression that there still might be some kind of satanic things in the area and i'm sure there are and even in halifax there are i think it's all over the world yeah. um but uh, i think they have their fair share of it there too and so i don't know how, how does that impact a local parish how does that you know so it's going to be neat to work with them and um I, I, he's he just so zealous and, and is such a strong belief in Je- the power of Jesus to change lives. And, and uh, he loves his priesthood. And Isn't that the thing, though, that we look for? Like, like the yeah. things you're naming, aren't those the things that we see where parishes actually can have fruit? Is that zealousness, that passion, that, right. that drive? Yeah. And not- I, I think that conviction that, that Jesus can still change lives. He's still alive. And, and last night we actually were a part of a an event for a local campus ministry, and they featured a number of testimonies of, of students. And I have to say, it was incredibly powerful to hear a couple of students who were atheists who had powerful conversions, like really, you know, in a sense, God kind of coming out of nowhere and doing something sovereign. And then they got they got connected in with this this community of young people, and how one. Uh, former young, this one, one not former young woman. This this young woman who had been a former atheist uh, came to faith in a powerful way, and then evangelized this other young man, and he gave his testimony as well last night. And 
I found that I was very much ministered to yes. to hear those stories of God's sovereign work and to realize the, the Lord is still relevant. He is still the bread of life. He is still the water of life. He is still alive. He's still working in people's lives. And, and people like these young, these young people we heard from last night, they're, they're all over the place. They're in our parishes. Amen. They're in our communities. And do we have eyes to see them? Amen. Amen. So, Ron, you're, you're, you're with us here this morning in studio, but we're losing you for the rest of the day. You're taking off. You're on the road. Where are you going? I'm heading up to Truro, Nova Scotia to do some work at the invitation of the Anglican Church. They're hosting their annual conference in, in Truro, and they've invited me to come speak uh, to talk about the game plan, which I'm really excited to speak on. And, you know, it's kind of, I was just saying this morning, I'm really excited to be invited because the Anglican Church, we've been blessed so much by them because... Alpha was birthed in the Anglican Church, and so to be able to be invited to the Anglican Church as a Catholic to come and share the, some of the things that we're doing, I'm really honored to do that. Actually, as you say it, it occurs to me, it's kind of neat, because the game plan is, is sort of how we've placed Alpha inside of the Catholic Church to unleash all the other things, Amen. and so there's a there's a beautiful sort of uh, loop to that that story. There sure is, and so it's gonna, I'm really excited to be invited to participate Uh uh, Reverend Lisa Vaughn yeah, invited me to, to come, and so she's part of the planning committee, so I'll be with them this afternoon, so pray for me. I'm looking forward to it. Well, that's exciting. Uh, and Father James, you were also away recently. Uh, you were talking to deacons? Was that, is that right? Something no, no, I wasn't away. That's, that's the thing. Actually, <laughs> I've, I've been home for a couple of weeks, and I think while I was going to be home, uh, we lined up a lot of things for me to do locally, so uh, this week, we're doing a lot of things from our studio. So on Monday this week, I spoke to a group of deacons in Cleveland, a group of a class of transitional deacons. They're going to be ordained. So what's the difference between... So there's different types of deacons, and we're talking about deacons today. So why Yeah, what, yeah. so, so basically, the, the Sacrament of Holy Orders, you may have noticed there's an S on the end of it. It's, it's, there are different orders, and the orders are a deacon, priest, and bishop. And so I was ordained a deacon. You have to be ordained a deacon before you're ordained a priest. Mm -hmm. And uh, every bishop was ordained a deacon. A bishop who's ordained, that's their third ordination. Wow. Yeah, so you, there's, a, there's a different, what we call a configuration uh, to, to Christ and a particular grace that comes with each level of the sacrament. It's one sacrament, but in, but in three orders, in a, in, a, in a sense. So you've got uh, permanent deacons. These are married men who um, discern a call. They're usually men of, of, of mature years. The dioceses have different guidelines for that. And they, would, they often are serving in parishes on a voluntary basis because they often still have uh, careers. Some deacons, more mature men, are retired and they can mm. give more time. Some actually um, are, will, will be employed by, by a parish as well. So there are different circumstances. But the guys I spoke with are what are called transitional deacons. So they're, they're transitioning. They, they, were, they were ordained a deacon, and in the coming year, they're going to be ordained priests. So for myself, I was ordained a deacon in early May uh, or late April. I can't exactly remember. I think late April 1996, and I was ordained a priest in May 16, 1997, so just over a year later. So is that like a one-year trans? Is that, is that the norm, or is there it, flexibility? It, 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 there are, there's, there's flexibility, of course, but... In most places, it's about a year. In some places, it might be six months. Right. And some, like I did a whole summer as a deacon, getting pastoral experience. Uh, other places, it, it, it's not the same kind of focus, but it's a necessary step. 
So we're, we're going to talk to Deacon Doug, who's a, who would be a permanent deacon, one of those uh, deacons that is, is, is intending to remain so. Uh, but So these were the transitional deacons you spoke yeah, with. So what this kind is of a, message would you have shared with them? Well, uh, they, I was asked that the, 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 Father Andrew Turner, who's in the, the, the seminary in Cleveland, he's uh, a seminary uh, He's in seminary formation. I met him a number of years ago, and I have to say that he always stood out for me because he was asking the kind of questions that, that I really believe we needed to start asking. And he's actually innovated a little bit to, to breach the topic of, of leadership and renewal within the seminary. So uh, I was asked to speak to them about the difference between maintenance and mission, um, about how do you become a parish that makes missionary disciples and the role of leadership. And, and it was quite a vast topic. So I, I had to say, okay, well, I've got one hour. What am I going to say to these guys? So it was kind of cool. We were in studio. That's I had, true. That I had the earpiece. Topic. I had them live. And I presented on half a, for, for half an hour. And then we fielded questions. But what was curious to me is, is that they asked, they focused in a lot on a topic that I raised with our pastor cohorts these last two weeks. And that's the topic of the model of priesthood, the model of mm-hmm. priestly ministry. Because... One of the things that if, if you're going to step into leading renewal, there's two things that are really, well, actually, a lot's going to have to change in yeah. what you do because the threefold ministry of the priest, the, the prophetic, the priestly, and the kingly, priest, uh, prophet, priest, and king, and that's through ordination. It's also through baptism. Yep. We're baptized as priest, prophet, king, but the three tasks, primary task of the priest is to preach the word of God. The documents of Second Vatican Council and other documents actually put that down as the first task, to preach the word of God. It reminds us of the primacy of the word. It's not word and sacrament, it's word then sacrament, because uh, it's through the word of God that, that, that we have faith, and sacraments are sacraments of faith. Um, so preaching the word of God, especially at the Eucharist, secondly, celebrating sacraments, uh, especially the Eucharist, you know, uh, uh, and the third task is governance or leadership. And that's the one that we're, we're not so sure about. Mm. And when we spoke to a lot of priests you, and invite them to, to map out the time they spend in ministry, and, and I, this is outside, of course, in terms of your ministry time, it's outside of uh, eating, sleeping, and praying. We're going to consider that, because one of the deacons said, is this time, is that, does that include the, the time you spend praying? I'm like, no. And it doesn't include the time you spend sleeping or eating. And I, I think <laughs> prayer is as vital as that. Well um, so these three tasks, like, what percentage of your time do you spend in preparing for preaching and, and, and actually preaching? Uh, what percentage of your time do you put into ministering sacraments? And what percentage in leadership? And then there's everything else. And the point is that most priests spend 70% of their time doing everything else. They do non-essential priestly ministry. It's not that you have to strip yourself of every element of non-essential priestly ministry. I think aiming for about 20% is good because we all... As, as, as priest or pastor, just wondering... That um, if that matters. And in our language, that means the pastor's like the that, boss. It's a, great, it's a great point, Ron. I would say both because, yeah. because every priest is called to lead. Every baptized person is called to lead. But if you're in, a, if you're in the leadership position, you're going to have to tweak it even more. And again, that was a question one of the deacons asked me was, he said, well, this breakout, is that for everyone? And it's like, no, this is, if you're actually in the leadership position, you're going to have to move your, the leadership amount of time up to about 40%. Mm-hmm. And that's simply our experience. You're going to have to, you, two key things you're going to have to raise up. Your preaching time, from, from on average, from about 10% to about 25%. And your leadership time is going to go up from about 5%. 
just on average, to about 40%. Sacraments might stay about about the same. So the the whole point is, and we've experienced this over the last few years in in walking with pastors, if you simply take on more things and don't let anything go, don't change anything, you will not last. It's like that Mm. cross training, that CrossFit. Mm. You you, you won't last, you will die. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to say, what are you going to... Um, what are you going to, ha- not drop, but what are you going to hand over and empower uh, lay people to do? One of the things, Father James, when I hear you say that, like, so, and I would say this to particularly seminarians, you know, get amazing at preaching. Like, don't just preach. Invest in what it means to be an amazing public speaker. It's a skill set. Mm. It's not either some people are good at it and some people aren't. That's not true. It's a skill set that you can learn and grow in and get better at. You know, if I was the head of a seminary, I would make Toastmasters a mandatory part of mm-hmm. becoming ordained because yep. you have the opportunity and responsibility to preach the word in a way that changes lives. You know, when those people were witnessing to you at that event last night, you know, who gets more excited about Jesus than Father James? And here, he, and we need to be preached to. We need to preach to the choir like you were being ministered to last mm-hmm. night. And, and it's so exciting when somebody's really good at telling stories, witnessing, and breaking open the scriptures in ways that 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 can ignite us. And and so leadership and speaking are skill sets. And not only do you do them, get good at them. Yeah, and unfortunately, one of the challenges in the in the seminary, you know, it was the same when I was in. In your diaconate year, you actually get to preach at the seminary. But that you're usually in your fifth year of an academic program where you've been listening to homilies delivered by, guess what, professors to of theology <laughs> yeah. to the, theology <laughs> students. So our, your whole training and preaching, and you might not be of this kind of orientation when you first start, but by the time you're three, four, five years in, you preach theological homilies to theological ears mm-hmm. and that's when we're we're released out into the general population oh. of the church and that's what we know and, and that's what we've been effectively trained in and a lot of the things that, i mean I, I think obviously in preaching our theology has to be solid but and and our our uh, exegesis has to be solid and all this but i like to say that you know hermeneutics exegesis the deep theology it's kind of like your underwear right yeah you should have it but don't show it off <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. I agree. I love that. Well, it's so true. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you got to speak with those 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 deacons. In so uh, we had a great chat with the deacons, and also <laughs> today I've actually it's it's a week of studio stuff because I'm I'm giving a half hour message for a conference in Portugal that's going to be taking place in February next year, I think, because awesome. the book is coming out in Portuguese. And also I'm doing a little 10 minute message for a couple of conferences in Ireland that I spoke at those conferences last year. So I'm. Still speaking at conferences, but I'm doing it doing from, it from Halifax. Home, but you're doing yeah, it from yeah, Halifax. It's pretty nice. We, we get to hang out with you more <laughs> yeah. this way. Uh, so I, I, I'm, I, want us, I want us to pause here because I'd like to bring on uh, Deacon Doug, who has, by the way, far more experience than you at being a deacon. So <laughs> like, sure in terms much, of his deacon cred, better. it's much yeah, higher much than your deacon than cred, yeah, Father absolutely. James. <laughs> Although technically, I am still a deacon. <laughs> Oh my goodness, really? Yep, that, yep. Oh, well, that's, in that's, that case, I might have to take that what, back. That's a deep theological thing. Well, he, he's more focused. He's, 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 he's more in alignment with his deacon, de- deaconhood. <laughs> We're going to be right back with Deacon Doug. Thank you, and welcome back. And Deacon Doug, thank you for joining us on the podcast. 
It is great to be here with you. So Deacon Todd, why don't you tell us a little bit about your parish? Our parish is St. Patrick. Uh, we're in Yorkville, Illinois, which is a far western suburb of Chicago. Uh, my pastor is Father Matthew Lamoureux. He's a Marian of the Immaculate Conception, so he's an order priest. Uh, we have only one priest here at uh, St. Patrick at the moment. And we have 2,300 families in our parish, uh, about 1,400 uh, average on a weekend. Uh, we've been a part of the Divine Renovation Network uh, really since the beginning. As far as I know, we were in the first DR-16, came out, fell in love with what we saw, decided to place our feet there, and uh, have been on this wonderful journey since. Uh, Help me understand, what, what was your call into the diaconate? Why why did you become a deacon? Oh, uh, really, I have no idea how, uh, why, but I do have an idea uh, on where the call came in. It was something that was in just placed within my heart. Um, I was ordained in 2011, and about somewhere about six years prior to that, the parish that... Uh, I wasn't raised Catholic, but the parish that I entered into the church um, is about seven miles from here. And I was a part of that parish, working on parish council. And we had one pastor there, and uh, we had guys running all over. He couldn't get things done. And we said, hey, maybe we need deacons. So a group of us got together. We began to pray about a deacon, having a deacon come to our parish. at about the same time, I had, uh, we had a visiting priest that came occasionally and filled in for some masses, and he said to me, hey, you should consider being a deacon. I said, Father, I wasn't raised Catholic. Uh, and then about two, three months later, my pastor came and he said, I'd like you to consider being a deacon. I said, Father, I wasn't raised Catholic. And uh, so a couple other people mentioned that. I continued to pray. And at a parish council meeting, the pastor we had said, um, I put your name in, signed you up to be a deacon. I said, okay, thanks, Father. Figuring I wasn't raised Catholic. I don't know that much about the Catholic faith. So I went home and I told my wife, I said, you know, Father Jerry said, uh, I want you to be a deacon. That he put my name in, uh, already signed me up to uh, go to some classes to be a deacon. And she said, okay, I need to share a story with you. Come out here on the deck. So I went on the deck and she said, About a month and a half ago, I had this dream that uh, Jesus came up to the door, knocked on the door, and uh, you went with him, you know, and you walked off with him. And uh, now I know what the answer is. I contacted a couple other people. We've been praying for that. And I said, okay, are you sure that's the answer? Are you thinking like I'm going to die here? Because to me, Jesus takes me, he's taking me home. And um, But she said, no, I know what this is, so I'm confirming what Father has asked you to do. And uh, we began the journey then, uh, prayerfully, and I uh, was ordained in 2011, and am here now. And uh, by God's grace, every moment has been challenging and uh, exciting uh, in the journey. I really so, love that story, John, because what, what strikes me is that uh, Jesus wasn't raised Catholic either. Aha, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh, there we go. But also, uh, you know, Oftentimes in, in the church, in the world of ministry, whether at the parish level with parish volunteers or often sometimes with deacons with, with a call to the deck and even sometimes priesthood, we accept volunteers. Mm. And what you experience, I think, is an authentic uh, discernment 
and experience of call, and that is and that is the most ancient way we did it in the church. That is the, the church recognizes capacity and calls it forth. I think of St. Ambrose of Milan. You know, he was basically a government official. He was a catechumen. He was in, he was in the RCIA process, and they basically, the bishop died, and they were like, who's going to be your bishop? That guy over there. They grabbed him, they baptized him, they ordained him a priest, and ordained him a, a deacon, priest, and bishop, and said, no, you're our bishop. And I don't think he was entirely willing at the time but anyway it kind of worked out because he became a saint and he converted saint augustine as well uh so but that that experience of 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 it doesn't begin with the person saying i think this is something i would like to do or feel called to do the church went to you and said we see in you these qualities and i think that's so key love it that's really neat so you you're part of a parish that's on mission uh, deacon doug and and so Help me understand what what what's that like? What's the, what's your experience of that been like as a deacon? It is exciting. I have to tell you, it's been one of the most exciting times in my life. Um, two things. One is is that coming to this parish, I actually became employed uh, by a parish. You know, prior to that, I have a small business that I've ran for twenty five years and it's still in existence and still running. But um, again, by a call uh, to come and to enter into ministry more full-time. I became pastoral associate here a little over two years ago, um, which allowed me to uh, put a lot more energy and effort into where the Lord was calling me. And moving from maintenance to mission, um, it takes a lot of work. I mean, we were used to the maintenance mode. I was used to the maintenance mode. Being ordained in 2011, um, I came out of ordination. Of course, you come out of ordination on fire. I mean, you know, you have... All you got, you got new albs, you got new stoles, you got new stuff, you got new heart, and you go out and and I wanted to baptize as many people. I mean, and and uh, because deacons can baptize, you know, I wanted to have as many couples come to to marriage prep classes and all those things. Um, I began to teach a confirmation class, you know, because I thought you know these kids aren't being taught enough. That's why we confirm them and they leave. They're just, we're just not packing enough into them. That's why we confirm them and they leave. I'm not. The baptism classes aren't being done right. Otherwise, when we baptize these children and meet with these parents, I'd see them next Sunday. You know, so the more I could baptize, the more I could. And then and I really got kind of not disheartened, uh, but um, I wasn't seeing the result. Uh, something was missing. I read Father James' book, uh, Divine Renovation. And a lot of those things in there, I was like, okay, I get it. I see that. I see that. I see that. Um, and then coming here, uh, going out to Divine Renovation, there's one thing I, Father James just said when I went out to the uh, conference that I'll never forget, and it's just embedded in my heart. At some point that first night in the talk, you said, are you in love with the method? Are you in love with the mission? Are you in love with the mo model? Are you in love with the mission? And I went back to my room that night, and um, that just resonated by the power of the grace of the Holy Spirit. And from that moment on, I've been in love with the mission, uh, the vision of bringing people to Jesus Christ. And um, that, in its essence, brings people to, to the church. I mean, if the fullness of Christ subsists within our church, then we shouldn't be afraid to introduce people to Christ and let him call them to where they need to be called to grow in faith and become disciples. And that's been the exciting thing. So... Uh, does that give you an idea how it's going? <laughs> yeah, that's bit. awesome. I'm all jacked up. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. 
So, uh, you, so things obviously changed. I mean, like you, your approach must have your approach must have changed. What are some of the things that you started doing different in those those first sort of days following uh, that that experience of, of of the Holy Spirit sort of speaking through Father James, but with you recognizing that you might have to shift to being married to the mission. You know, one well, uh, one big thing is is uh, we encountered um, Alpha become before coming to this parish. Father Matt already had a desire to bring um, Alpha into the parish. And I was at a neighboring parish about seven miles away. Before coming here, uh, I met with Father Matt, and uh, we were friends, you know. But also, I, uh, because serving in a parish seven miles away, we did some things together. And I met with Father, and I said, Father, Alpha's not Catholic. Why do you want to do Alpha? We've got other things that we can do. Um, you know, there are other courses, programs out there that are Catholic and that are sacramental, you know, so why would we want to do Alpha? Uh, so that's a major shift, um, a huge shift. And actually, Alpha is one of the things that I run. It's under what I do here. Um, and it's exciting to see people come to Christ and to see somebody who has never met Jesus Christ before, never met a, never opened up a Bible before, Um have a transformational experience. And I often say, now, I know what fruit looks like. I know what real fruit tastes like. And that's what I'm after. So that's a big shift in, in uh, where we're at. The other thing with Divine Renovation and through Alpha, um, it's the beginning of starting to raise up leaders. You know, um, Where I once prayed for, and I still, we need more deacons, we need more priests. But we need more everybody. We need more leaders. So um, to begin to look at my role as a deacon, you know, even Father Matt. Father Matt speaks vision into me and those people that are around him so that we can begin to speak vision into people that are around us. And we begin to raise up more and more leaders so that we can go out and share the truth of who Jesus Christ is with everyone. Um, That's what the church is about. So that's... That's a shift, you know. Um, used to be if we would have had a, uh, you know, we're looking for somebody, if, if some of were going to do a discipleship class, some of were going to lead a table at Alpha. Did I have a confidence that someone would lead a table at Alpha and not have a collar? Or every time, you know, I'm not wearing a collar here. I'm in the Joliet Diocese, so, you know, hospital chaplains, prison ministry, um, certain things that I do here at the parish, Sunday liturgies, I have a collar. Um, I probably more the, wore the collar more at my old parish than I do now here, even though I wasn't employed there. But um, how come? You know, why the change? Help me understand. Why did you make that decision, Deacon Doug? Why did you? Why are you wearing your collar less? Uh, I think there's a certain amount of clericalism that occurs and happens. So, if I happen to be sitting at a table and I've got a collar, who do people ask to pray? You know. Um, and so when we're in this moment of trying to raise up leaders, um, it's a lot, it's asking other people to pray, you know, people to pray over me. Sometimes I have a bad day. Sometimes we forget our pastors that they have bad days. They need someone to pray over them and to lift them up in prayer. And um, I think that's wonderful. Um, like being a parent, I have a 24-year-old son, a 26-year-old daughter. Um, as a dad... When my kids pray over me, it just melts my heart. There's something powerful there. As my pastor, as Father Matt, as we come around him, lift him up and pray over him, 
in his time when he's sick, when he's in need, he's got a homily prep coming, he's got something coming up. I know that does something for him because he's my father as well, see? So there's that dynamic that's uh, kind of cool, I think. And that clericalism by the collar, uh, by wearing the collar all the time and people just expecting me to pray all the time, I don't allow them to share in that blessing of what that's like to pray over another. And I also don't receive that blessing. So that's kind of, hopefully that gave you a little help there and why I don't always wear the collar. I'm not ever ashamed of the collar though. Um, but I think sometimes it helps me minister in a way, especially as a deacon, um, that there's that bridge there that I can minister differently and raise up leaders differently by doing that. I think you're, you're onto something really solid there, Doug, because one of the great struggles we have is, is against clericalism. And how I often see clericalism playing out is that, you know, it's St. Augustine, who was evangelized and discipled by St. Ambrose, uh, he, he said, uh, for you, I am a bishop, but with you, I'm a Christian. And I often see the results of clericalism is that many priests don't know how to be Christians with their people. They only know how to be priests for their people. And I also see that with bishops. Bishops not only sometimes don't know how to be Christians with their people, they don't know how to be priests with their priests. And it's a very isolating thing. It's very dehumanizing. But I want to go back to that, that, that clericalism thing because it is a huge issue. And one of the, the things that I've struggled with in the past is because, I mean, if you're in a parish that starts to come to life, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I think it's if you're a, a young Catholic man who's not married and you surrender your life to the Lord, you, it's totally natural that you should ask the question, Lord, what are, you, what are you calling me to do? And that you should, at some level, discern the possibility of being called a priest. And likewise, I suppose, if you're, if you're a, um, um, a married man who's, who's come to life in faith, uh, you might at some point say, well, am I being called to, 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 to be a deacon? And that's, I'm totally cool with that. But one thing we've got to be very careful of is this idea that, that as you progress in the spiritual life as a lay as as a layman, that the fulfillment of your spiritual progression is eventually to be ordained, as if ordination uh, is the perfection of baptism, uh, which it's it's not at all. And we've got to be very careful that we don't uh, clericalize the baptismal calling to say that it's only legitimate if it ends up uh, wearing an albinus thole. Mm, that's funny you say that because I know for myself a lot of people said to me years ago. Oh, you, you should be a deacon. You should be a deacon. And I, I felt like I don't feel called to be a deacon. Uh, I, have, I do feel called to lay my life down in love and service of Jesus Christ in the church 100%, but not in the form of but a But that's deacon. baptism. That's, that's bapti- what baptism is. Yeah. yeah. And so I, you know, I remember saying, you know, they're like, oh, we need more deacons. I said, yeah, we need also more males sold, working in business sold out for Christ. Yep. You know, and, and so for me, it, it was a clear call. I, I wasn't called the diaconate, but I'm, I love Christ. Like hearing Deacon Doug talk, I, I just think to myself, he just fires me up so much. And so there, well, yeah. I'd like to ask Deacon Doug, uh, uh, Doug, as you look at your own ministry, you know, there's your, your role as a parish staff member. Uh, you're on right. parish staff, which is, you know, some deacons do have that experience. Others don't, but... What do you distinguish and what you do is particular to your diaconate, your role as a deacon, as opposed to uh, a deacon who's on staff? And, and how, what do you see as particular to the diaconate? Particularly, uh, as I mentioned, there, we have our pastor, Father Matt, and uh, he does all, you know, every weekend mass. So there are four masses here on a weekend. He preaches all of them. 
um, if we have a message series, he's carrying that series. Now, at particular times, as a deacon, uh, I can preach the gospel, you know, proclaim the gospel, of course, but I, I, by his direction, am allowed to preach. And so he will share that message series sometimes with me, and that will help carry that ball forward. And that's unique to the, to the role of a deacon. Um, the other thing I think is the, you know, deacons are ordained to word, liturgy, charity. Um, liturgy, when you begin to make change in moving from maintenance to mission, you begin to look at things different. You look at your church different. How, how inviting are you to someone who would come here that is not Catholic? Um, how inviting are we in everything that we do from greeters at the doorway to how we present the message from the ambo? Uh, all of it. Um, so liturgy-wise, that's one of the areas as a deacon that you work within uh, and have a little bit more time. So you might be, be, be uh, not that we change the liturgy. I mean, the liturgy is the liturgy. But some of the things on the peripheral that we can do to help people feel and be more invited into a Catholic atmosphere if they're not, if they've never walked into a Catholic church. You know, one of our goals here is that Typically, when somebody moves into an area, person moves into a new area, they open up a whatever, a phone book, a, a commerce association, and they see what church they're going to, if, or if there's a church there. If they're not Catholic, they're not even looking into the Catholic area at all uh, because that's just for Catholics. But we want to be here. We're for everybody. We're to bring people to Jesus Christ. So we want you to be welcome here. Catholic or not, uh, and feel welcome. Now, and there are some things sacramentally we're not going to get, you know, you know what I mean there, but, but everybody welcome. So as a deacon, you can begin to build those bridges and spend that time liturgically. Um, when it comes service-wise and you're working in, you know, maybe St. Vincent de Paul, uh, maybe uh, some of the, the, the food pantries, some of those things, um, to be that constant reminder to the people as you raise up leaders why are we serving? We're serving for Jesus Christ to bring about transformation. You know, so we work for that purpose. Um, you know, so all those things, I think, particular to the diaconate that is, uh, that, that's there. You know? Doug, I'd, I'd like to pick up on something. Like you've, uh, and I'm really grateful to hear you say these things because you've, you talked about, just in that short bit, about raising up leaders and reminding people about why you do what you do. That's, you're describing leadership. Mm -hmm. And so often because of we've struggled as a church in the last 45 years since we've had uh, permanent deacons to say, what is the theology? What is the proper role that often uh, the, the role of a deacon that can devolve into simply functioning and doing? You have a, a particular set of functions related to the liturgy and even the call to, to work in areas of, of justice and, and, and charity can result in and deacons often just being doers rather than leaders. So I'm just really grateful to hear you uh, draw that, that part of your vocation out. And one of the parts, too, I think about that, Father James, sometimes, and this is my perception, it could be wrong, it'd be fun to talk about it with you guys, but some people, because they have a caller, they think they should be leading something or the leader of everyone there, and they might not have great leadership skills or gifts but they're ordained. And so what's the difference there? Like, you know, I, like I've been in circles of situations where there's a new clergy person on a staff, whether it's priest or a deacon, and, and they get offended that they're not the leader or one of the leaders. 
because they see themselves as that because of their their ordained. Well, the, the the best leaders are going to be behind the scenes. They're going to be doing you know what 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 Doug said, recognizing and calling forth and equipping others. Um, I think one of the one of the struggles that we have around the role of the deacon is, is, you know, you've got to have a model and a theology. Mm-hmm. We're struggling with the model because we don't have a clear theology. And, you know, in one sense, and I don't want to scandalize anyone or offend any, any, any deacons, but in one sense, if you strip things down, there's nothing a deacon does that a lay person cannot do. Okay. Because uh, deacons can baptize. Uh, I was actually baptized by my mother in the hospital because they, they thought I was going to die. So, Anyone can actually baptize. Now, it's under normal circumstances, the normal minister is the deacon or the priest or, or the bishop, so it's, it's not normal. Uh, a, a lay person can be delegated to, to witness a, a marriage. Uh, that happens often in, in, in different places. Uh, so in one sense, if you strip it back, other than the liturgical functioning, um, there is nothing essential uh, that a deacon does that a lay person cannot do under extraordinary circumstances. Here's the, here's the distinction. Um, the deacon can become the ordinary minister of these things, but the ordination is unique. The ordination to the deacon is is unique in that there's an official recognition by the by the church proper in this particular person. So it, it's not the same as a lay person doing it. So you can't reduce it to this, mm-hmm. but at the same time, there's a particular setting apart that happens. In a, in a way that the deacon represents the church in a formal way that uh, that that a, that a ba- someone who's baptized, I wouldn't say merely baptized, that, that's an awful thing to say, that a, a baptized believer does, does, does not. So that's been a bit of a struggle because, you know, is, is diaconate the laicization of the priesthood or is it the clericalization of the, of the baptized? It's kind of an in-between space. And I think we've, in the last 45 years, we've come through a lot in terms of trying to figure out how does a deacon function within a maintenance model of church. And one thing that we would love to hear more from, from Doug is about how do you function in a missionary parish? Because I'm, I'm hearing about Father Matt's parish, 1,400 people on a weekend. That's the same size as St. Benedict. You're the same size as our parish. And the thought of being a priest at St. Benedict Parish by myself, no. only one priest... That makes me want to run for the hills. So, Doug, I'm sure that you have your ministry has contributed to allowing that parish to function because that's one key way that a deacon can can help with a. You know, we talked about models of priestly ministry. the The help of a deacon is going to be is going to make it or break it in that kind of situation. Particularly, you know, when you have someone like Deacon Doug, because there are plenty of priests who don't want deacons because they've had them. It's been not a good experience because just because somebody's ordained doesn't mean they're a good leader. And Doug, Deacon Doug is a good leader. And so that's the part that that I see it when I coach. It's a really tricky space. People feel they, I'm a deacon. I should preach. Well, you're not actually good at it. And you don't have a self-awareness to know that. And and they get frustrated because they're not being released in the things that they think they should be doing, but it's because they're actually not very as competent in it as they would need to be uh, if you're in love with the mission. And so there's a tension there that a lot of people are experiencing, and it's real. And we need to deal with it and have difficult conversations. And it's hard. 
And we've experienced it. So Deacon Tuck, help me understand. I mean, Father James, uh, you know, comparing it to, to St. Benedict Parish makes it very visual for me because, you know, that's our parish. And so a parish of that size, uh, Father Matt must must lean on you. Like the, the partnership between you and him must be really interesting. Help me understand what that looks like. Well, we, we have a senior leadership team. So, I mean, Father Matt leans on the entire team. I mean, we, we work together as a team. So uh, he's our pastor. Uh, we are a team that come around him. Uh, he continually speaks vision into us, and we also help speak vision back into him. So we work well together as a team. My role as a deacon to help alleviate some of those things, when you, when, when you look at divine renovation and those tasks, um, when we looked at the workbook and we looked at what does Father Matt have to do during the course of the week, um, and then what are those things that maybe he does or has been tasked himself with because he has uh, uh, one of his things, he has responsibility. We know what each other's strengths are. Um, so we know that he's naturally, because he has that, he's going to take on more. You know, he also has harmony. He's, he's going to have a tough time having that difficult conversation, maybe, because he wants everything to be harmonious. Um, so that. We, we know each other well enough that we can alleviate. So what I do is take some of that weight off. Um, so some of the things that he might have had to do in the past, I will do. You know, I, uh, there are certain, you know, maybe paperwork for the, for, for uh, dais, you know, stuff that a priest or deacon has to sign and seal. I do most of that um, so that that's not on father uh, with his, you know, uh, okay and with his permission. Um, certain things where maybe if a new parishioner comes or an old parishioner, whatever the case is, they, they want some more information. That might go to me first uh, to kind of be that buffer or to help a little bit there to alleviate some of those things. Um, maybe hospital visits. You know, not all hospital visits are, you know, that have to be the anointing of the sick, the sacrament. Father can only do the sacrament. So maybe it's me that encounters the person and, and then I know, okay, we, there's an anointing needed here. Father's there available for that. So not all of those things. Um, so those things that I can do, that's what I do. Those things that he, only he can do, that's what he does. And uh, then we each build up more and more people around us. So it's kind of, it's working, you know. And yes, I would probably run for the hills too if I had that size parish. <laughs> well, we could never have done uh, what we did in the last couple of years at St. Benedict Parish without the help of deacons. And, yeah. you know, I used to, in past parishes, when I was first ordained at the cathedral, we were doing 60 weddings a year. Now it's gone way down because people aren't getting married anymore, never mind get, getting married in, in uh, ch church. But, but even with uh, 20, say you have 15 to 20 uh, weddings a year, just the work meeting with the couples and doing the paperwork. And, and I used to do the, I used to do the, the, I used to do the rehearsals. Right. And I remember it being a huge deal, a huge big deal when I gave up doing the paperwork to a deacon, when I gave up doing the rehearsals, we have a, a, a lay person in the parish who does, does those. And, and now in the last couple of years as pastor, I gave up doing weddings with, with the, a few exceptions of couples that I personally knew and journeyed with. I just, I had to give that up, and the deacons took that on. And also, another thing that we saw in the last couple of years was funerals, because more and more we were doing funerals, and I don't know if some of you uh, priests and deacons who are listening, you know, when you begin a funeral, you stand up front, you look out at the congregation, and you say, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And when you look out, and only 10% of the people are making the sign of the cross— 
and you know that 30% of them are Anglicans <laughs> and 60% of the rest are, are non-church goers, you're, you're left thinking, why are we doing mass? It makes no sense. It's one of those, the Lord be with you. Hello, hello, hello. And also, <laughs> and also with me. You know, we realized that, and even, even our bishop took, took the lead on this, and he, he wrote a document a couple of years ago saying, in situations where the majority of people at a, at a funeral are, have no familiarity with, with, with the Eucharist, it's not proper to have the Eucharist. We should have a liturgy of the Word. And that's a real pastoral principle of meeting people where they are. We still offer the Eucharist for the repose of the soul of that person at, a, at another date, because that's one of our ancient values as, as Catholics. So we, we found in the last couple of years more and more deacons actually starting to take about 10 20%, 25%, 30% of funerals, mm. sometimes with a bit of pushback, and other times people are like, no, that's great, mm-hmm. uh, because that actually would actually meet us where we are, because to be honest, we don't understand what the Mass is, and we don't really value it. Mm. So in those ways, they were lifesavers. Mm. Really, they were lifesavers, because especially with funerals, so, you know, when you get hit by one, two, three funerals a week, it, it can set you back for weeks. Mm-hmm. And so that's a critical way, I think, these are critical ways in which deacons can help a parish in, the, in their journey from maintenance to mission. And I think it revolves around, and what I'm hearing when you're speaking, uh, Doug, is I'm hearing mutual respect you guys have for mm-hmm. one another. Yeah. And that's the key. And so my advice to deacons, when leadership changes, assume that your role is going to change. Because I would say to deacons, first thing you should be asking your pastor, and, and even if you've been feeling some tension and stuff, I think it's because of expectations, unvoiced expectations, or maybe voiced expectations. But there's, I would look at the pastor and say, Father, I don't know if my primary role, goal has been to serve you or not. And, and I've had expectations, and I want to repent of that. I need you to tell me, based on your experience of me, what you see in me in terms of what I may or may not be good at. How can I best serve you in the mission of this church? I would, I would ask you to be humble. You know, the ultimate team player, as Patrick Lencioni in his book wrote, is hungry, humble, and people smart. And so sometimes when we get focused on our role more so than who it is we're serving, that leaves a space for disappointment and discouragement. I would just do a reboot and go to the pastor and say, you know what, you probably have an assessment of, of my skills, gifts, and you probably see my blind spots better than I do. And so I'm here to serve. How can I serve you in the mission in a way that's... But, and be willing to take lesser roles than you think you have capacity for. But it's also fair to say, too, um, where do you think I need to grow? I, th- I think, too, uh, Ron and, and, and Doug, that a key thing of what I'm hearing, how it works with you guys, is is it's... It's, it is, as you said, mutual respect. Your, your respect for Father Matt, but Father Matt's reflect, respect for you, the way he values your, yes. your, your ministry. And, you know, I remember when we first restructured our staff at St. Benedict Parish, one of the big mistakes I made is that I, I didn't support the clergy team uh, enough uh, because uh, the, by virtue of the fact that you are ordained, the people in the pews have an expectation that you're somehow in the know, and, and, and I didn't meet enough with them and, and support mm-hmm. them enough, and I was too busy to even notice that I wasn't doing that, and I had to really kind of repent for that and ask the guys uh, forgiveness for my lack of support, because uh, parishes that, that have even 
If, 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 you're, if you've got other clergy that are not on your senior leadership team, you need to meet with them. You should be meeting with them at least once a week uh, for half an hour or, or, or an hour to listen and to set them up for success. And I did that very poorly for, for a while. Uh, also, can I say one last thing? I know I'm, uh, I'm talking a bit too much here, but to my brother priests who might be listening, I would also encourage you to to check any any particular internal bias or issues you may have. I, I, you know, it's a bit humorous, but I think back to when I was in the seminary, and once a month the deacon candidates would come to the seminary for for the weekend of training. And when I look back on it, I mean, this is going back twenty five, twenty six years, but some of us were actually a bit resentful of their presence. You know why? They had their wives with them. <laughs> we were like, look at these guys. It was kind of like they get to have their cake and eat it. You know, like we're, we're the real stormtroopers. We gave that up, you know, and it was, it was kind of a weird kind of, it wasn't healthy. It wasn't from a, a place of spiritual health, but it was, there was a divisiveness that crept in uh, that was rooted in, in some element of, re- of, of resentment mm. that, that showed a real lack of freedom. No, I don't know. Maybe you're listening saying, well, James, that's good for you. That's your story. I have no, I can't relate to that whatsoever. But maybe there might be some of you who might be able to relate to that story. I don't know if your seminary was, was different from mine or, or, or the same, but if there's any kind of residual effects mm. of that, we need to really surrender that and, re- and recognize that there are multiple forms of ministry Amen. in the church, and we need all the forms of ministry. We need that the, the, a married diaconate brings a richness and a, and a, and a, and a beauty and of experience uh, that is a real gift to the church. Amen. So Deacon Doug, we know that this this podcast reaches many deacons. What are some of your fears and your hopes for, for those guys that might be listening? No fears, all hopes. Um, I have positivity as my top thing, so they're, you know, but all hope. I think uh, for one, one thing is one of the things that were mentioned here, pastorally, you know, pastor to deacon, um, that communication, that time, to speak into one another is so important. Um, and having, Ron, you mis- mentioned mission. You know, we we had a mission and a vision here at St. Patrick. We actually got rid of the mission and vision, and we call it our purpose. You know, and our purpose is to transform lives by making church matter, building disciples, seeking and saving the lost. We know what that means. We, we, we speak into it one another and the entire team. Deacons and pastors, priests, associate pastors, whatever. If you can do that, um, by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, you are unified and on mission. And uh, that's what I would share with anybody. That's the hope. Um, the fear, if you don't do it, it's going to be real fearful and tough, you know, because you got to have that communication. You got to have that vision uh, in order to move. And um, But I think it's great. I, I, I would say jump in. Try it. Uh, sitting on the sidelines, sitting on the bank, you never know what the, how good the water feels till you get in and, and give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> well, Deacon Doug, thank you so much for being with us today. It was such a joy to, ha- to have you along with us. It's been great to be with you guys. Continue the good work. God bless you all. God bless. Thank you. If, if this podcast and if our ministry has in any way been a blessing to, to you and you, you've been listening to us, I encourage you to check out our website and at divinerenovation.net. And maybe if you're feeling called, it would be amazing if you would 
uh, partner with us financially. And I think you can donate as little as $5. Or as much as... Five million. I think. Five million. Yeah, I don't think there's actually a cap, uh, so we won't stop you. We're there. trying but, to not go against a culture of minimalism. I, here. <laughs> I guess you know what I would love is for as an expression of, of support from 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 our, our listeners. I know this goes out to thousands of people, and it, and we do have donors that uh, the entire ministry exists because of donations. We don't do we don't do donation drives. We don't do anything like that. But but perhaps if you're feeling called, and if we've been a blessing in any way, either to you individually, to your parish, or if you just want to be help us be a blessing to other parishes, we'd love for you to to, to hit our website and to, to hit that donate button. Uh, in addition to that, I'm actually standing between two guys uh, who have a book coming out soon. A new book, a new Divine Renovation book. What's the name of it, Ron? Unlocking Your Parish, Making Disciples, Raising Up Leaders with Alpha. We're excited about it. Unlocking Your Parish. I've got the manuscript in my inbox. I'm so excited. This book is going to be amazing. I'm, I'm thrilled for what's, what, what and, it's going to be. And to out. be very honest, it's, it's uh, mostly it's Ron. It's, it's kind of Ron's book, but I, I give a little bit here and there. So, but it's our story, uh, though, isn't it? It's our yeah, story, it really but is. this guy yeah. really... Really dro- dro- so that book's going to be coming out in the new year, so we'll be talking about it more as, as we move towards publication, but uh, we're really excited about it and hope it'll be a blessing to you. And thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to, to being able to, to get together again next week and have some more conversations, and perhaps we'll be along for the ride. God bless. <laughs>